I'm a, I, I like telling stories. Who likes telling stories? Right? Who likes listening to stories? Right? I also love listening to stories. I, I love, one of the reasons why I love stand-up comedy, I don't know if you guys like stand-up comedy, um, is stand-up comedy is one of the hardest things to do, I think, in the world. And I, I tried it when I first came to Busan. They had this thing called the ha-ha-ho. And we just decided to go. They had it at this bar. And it's like an open mic for stand-up comedy. And I went there, and then they're really smart because they get there early and they sign their names, but they never sign the first spot. Right? Everybody signs like, I want, the, I want to go last. I want to go like second to last. And so I got there late, and so the only spot that was open was the first spot. And then like everybody that was with our church plant team, we all there was about ten of us that came down from Seoul to plant this church, and they were just like pressuring me, like you got to do it. And I was like, no, what are you talking about, right? You had to do it. But then like it was weird because God like 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 downloaded this comedy set into my mind. And then I was like, and then I had this confidence right away, and I was like, oh, I can do this, right? And it was, that was actually really funny. I talked about a lot of, like, you know, being married, and I had just gotten married, and talked about some stuff, and uh, freaked some guys out. But uh, it's really difficult to tell stories and, and have people be interested and engaged, right? And I believe Jesus did this very well. Jesus was able to not only talk to people that, that were going to receive him and, and, and they would hear these stories and they would receive them into their hearts and they would go home and, and kind of like you know wrestle with it and be like, oh, I found this truth. And then he would also be able to preach and then and people would be able to listen, but it would just go straight over their heads. Right? The Pharisees, they'd be just like, uh, they'd be like, oh, so we should plant seeds, right? Like they they would completely lose the main focus because their hearts weren't open to the to the gospel. Their hearts weren't open to what Jesus had to say and the coming of a kingdom. And so, um, you know, I love parables, and I've been going through this series. I think I have like a, maybe one or two more sermons about parables that I want to do. But this one, I really enjoy it because I love this character. It's uh, the persistent widow and the tax collector. Right? Jesus says uh, he tells these uh, parables back to back in the book of Luke, uh, chapter 18. And then, and um, I love the first character of this persistent widow, and I just can imagine. Korean, like Ajima, right? When I read this, I don't know why, but she's Korean. She's like in her 50s, right? And, and she's just she's just persistent, right? It's like, you know, like my mom, how she nags, right? She's just, and so uh, and I, I find this character very endearing. Um, but in order for us to understand these two parables, we actually have to read it in context. And so we have to look at what Jesus said right before this in chapter 17. And so in Matthew chapter 17, he's being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would would come, and he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, will they where am I? Where they say, look, there it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And so the Pharisees were were asking so that they could be prepared, right? They wanted to be prepared, uh, not in like a a way of like receiving, you know got into their heart, but they just wanted to be prepared, like, to the letter, right? They wanted, because up to this point, they feel like they're everything, they're doing everything that they need to do to be righteous before God. Like, they're doing this, they're doing, you know, they, they don't watch, they don't touch certain things, they don't eat certain things, they, they make sure that they pray three times a day, they do all these things to be right with God, and so they wanted to know from Jesus, like, oh, when is this kingdom coming? Because we want to be ready in this way. But Jesus tells them that the kingdom of God isn't a place, it's not a time, but the kingdom of God is already here among us, right? It's within us, for the ones that have received Jesus. So the kingdom of God isn't something that we can prepare for in the future. This is what Jesus is saying. We can't prepare for the kingdom of God in the future 
But we need to be preparing it for it now. Right? Now is the time for us to prepare for the kingdom of God. The Pharisees wanted to know when will it come so they can actually prepare. Like, all right, it's going to come in like, you know, in this day. So right before that, I'm going to make sure that I'm right and I have everything going. You know, that like my clothes are clean. You know, I haven't touched anything dead. And, you know, I've eaten the right things. I don't, you know, like socialize with these sinners. You know, they, they wanted to be prepared in this way. But Jesus tells them, like, hey, the kingdom of God is here, and the time to prepare for it is now. Jesus tells them that when he returns, no one will know the time. And he says there will be like a flash of lightning. If you read uh, chapter 17, it will be like a, how a light, when a lightning comes and that light travels across the sky, that's, that's what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. And he talks about how Noah, like the days of Noah, when um, the people were, like, you know, doing everything, eating and drinking and living living it up and, you know, partying and doing all these evil things. And then, like, nobody knew until Noah and his family went inside the ark, closed the door, and then they started waiting, and all of a sudden the flood came. And they're like, what? You know, like, what's going on? And then he talks about Lot in the days of Lot. Um, it says, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, but, no, but on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So, so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And so Jesus is saying, like, hey, the kingdom of God isn't something that you can, like, earn and work up to, but it's something that is here now, and, and we need to be ready now. You know, a lot of his parables is about these virgins and people with lamp, uh, lampstands and oils and, and these ten virgins, and five of them are ready, five of them are not, and they're like, hey, like, the bridegroom is here, you know? And he's like, no, I, I have none to spare. Right? We have to be ready now. And he tells them that no one will know when the Son of Man will return. And then, and then in this midst of telling them about this kingdom, he tells them this parable. He says, there was this widow, and Jesus, he really, he really loves like, using very like, provocative subjects in his parables. Right? You know about the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. That, when, when the Jews heard that, it was like, it was very provocative. It was like, you know, like, it was like, they were like, oh, how could this be, right? Because Samaritans were so hated by the Jews. And in this situation with the widow, Jesus is using a, a person that is very, that would draw up a lot of emotions for the Jews. Because all throughout the, the law and the Old Testament, it talks about how they needed to, like, take care of the widow. They needed to, like, you know, be, take care of widows, orphans, and the foreigner. And, and she fell into this category that, like every Jewish person that wanted to be righteous had to have like like have a heart towards um, one of these categories of people, and so widow um, is like a very provocative and like very like you know, thought-provoking subject to to talk about. And then uh, and a woman back then that lost her husband was one of the weakest and the most vulnerable person. Right? Back then, women had no standing, right? no standing at all. Um, in court, like it's it's weird because she's standing before a judge, but back then women weren't like they didn't have the standing to even be able to stand before a judge. Their their husbands would always go in their place. Their husband earned the money. Their husbands, you know, did everything, and they were just they, all they can do was just stay home and take care of the house, and and take care of the children. But w so when a, a woman lost like a husband, like if you were young, you could remarry. But if you're kind of old and you know you were in that season of your life where you can marry, remarry, they were very vulnerable. And, and they like really didn't have anything to stand on. Even if they had an inheritance, 
say they, he hadn't, she had an inheritance that was given to her by like her husband. It was very, it was very like easy for a, a like a distant male relative to come and just take that inheritance because she really didn't have any standing. So I, I believe that this is kind of the situation that Jesus is talking about. This woman has been like this, she has an adversary has been like just been uh, unrighteously and 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 just she's faced injustice and she's she's crying out for justice in her life. Um, and and Jesus makes this widow the main character of this story for a reason. And he also brings up this unjust ruler. It says, in certain city there was a, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Um, this wasn't a good judge. This wasn't like you know, you know one of those judges that like have a tough, tough exterior. I, I've been before many judges and they've all had this tough you know exterior. But when it came to it, they're like a softy. He says, no, this is just an unrighteous man. He didn't fear God, and, he, had, and he, he didn't respect men. And so, you know, he didn't honor and respect the things that, like, that, that actually gave him his position um, over people. Now, Jesus brings these two people together in this parable, and the widow who is vulnerable, weak, poor, calls out to this unrighteous judge for justice against her adversary. She's like, give me justice. Right? I've been wrong. I need you to like you know give me justice in this way. Someone had done her wrong. Someone had done give, like done her, uh, been unjust to her, and she goes to the judge over and over and over and over again in order to get her way, in order to get justice for herself. This reminds me of my son Ezra. Ezra is at an age where if he wants something, he will say it over and over and over and over and over again, right? Like like scissors. These days he's really into scissors. So he's like, he's like, And then it's not even like a three times. Sometimes I would just ignore him to see how many times he'll say it. And he'll say it like 50 times. And he'll just follow. And then halfway through, he's forgetting what he's saying. He's just like, he's like looking at other things. And then after a while, he, he, like, he doesn't even know why he wants this, right? But he's just talking. And I just be like, stop asking me, right? This is kind of like this woman. She, she's continually just going to this judge and saying, give me justice, give me justice. And the judge, who is not a good man, grants the woman justice, not because you know, he wanted to be good, not because that he's good, or not because he even felt sorry for this woman, but he does it because of her persistence. She just goes back to this judge over and over and over again. Now, we know that the point of this parable now, Jesus says um, the point of this parable, or Luke, the writer, um, gives us the point of this parable, and he says that, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. We don't have to be rocket scientists to get to the, to the heart of this parable, or the point of this parable. Jesus tells this parable so that the followers, uh, his followers would, not, would always contend in prayer, that they would not lose heart, they would not give up, they would not like you know relent when it came to things. Now the tendency for some who read this is they they want to they want to interpret it in this way, in a way where if I pray hard enough for something, God will answer it. A lot of people think of it in this in this way. It's like if I pray hard enough for 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 this thing, I'm gonna get it right. If I pray hard enough for a house, if I pray hard enough for a wife, if I Pray hard enough for this boy to ask me out, then God is going to relent. I don't believe this is this is a formula 
for us to get what we want. Right? Because I've done this and it doesn't work. I still don't have apps, right? I still don't have the MacBook Pro with the little light bar at the top, right? I want that very badly. I've actually prayed for it. I still don't have it, right? And it's because there are some things in the world that God expects for us to do for ourselves. Right? There are some things in the world that God just, He's given us the wisdom and the understanding and the Word of God. He wants us to do it for ourselves. Some of you, some guys out there are praying for a wife. They're like, oh, God, give me a wife. They're doing nothing to be able to find a girlfriend, right? Just give me a wife. How many girls have you asked out? None. But I'm praying that God will give you. Dude, ask a girl out, right? Like you need to ask a girl out in order for it. God's not going to just drop a, a woman on your lap, right? There's some guys that expect that. Like God's just going to drop. Like a woman's going to go up to me and was like, you shall marry me. And you're like, oh, I will. Right? Amen. Who said amen, right? Did somebody say amen to that? Right? But a lot of times, we, 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 like God expects that. There's an expectation where God wants us to be able to do things in our lives because he's given us the wisdom, the understanding, the mindset, and the word of God to go and do it. Right? They want a new job, but they make no efforts into getting a better job or a better career. They're just complaining to God. God, I hate my job. I hate my job. I want a new job. I want a new job. And like, what have you done to get a new job? Nothing. Right? You keep going to your old job, and you keep on, you know, staying in this place. Like we we do these, we pray to God, and we expect God to be like a vending machine. We we expect Him to be an ATM. We, we give Him our prayers, and then He gives us what we want. And if we just if we keep doing it, if we keep keep asking, if we can, we keep putting coins in there, that God's going to eventually give us what we want. Right? But when we look at this parable, we have to take notice. Note of the condition of this widow, right? This widow was was wanting justice, and she was helpless in being able to bring that justice into her life. This is the thing. This is when we're helpless to actually do and accomplish the things that we want to accomplish in our life. She's helpless. There's nothing that she could do. All she could do was ask. All she could do was beg. And then the other thing that we need to understand is that she was she wasn't asking for property. She wasn't asking for money. But she was asking for justice. She wanted justice. She wanted what was right, right? What was rightfully, like, like should belong to her, the, the justice that she was supposed to have. She was crying out for that to this judge. And when we read this parable, we have to set it in a different way than we read the other parables. This is considered one of, one of Jesus's how much more parables, right? How much more would God, who loves you, right, bless you in this way? Uh, Matthew 7:11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? And and in this parable, it says, "If then, who is this, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous just says, and will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long over them? I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily." So this is a contrasting teaching. He's, he's not saying that this judge is like God, and he's not saying that this widow is like us. But he's contrasting the two to really make a point. And, and, and the point is, is that he, he contrasts the judge who is unrighteous, doesn't fear God or man, who is uncaring, far and aloof, to God, the Father, who is love, who is righteous, who is just, who cares for us who is close to us, right? And so, you know, like how much more would God do for us? 
who, if, if you know, like, if, if, if this unrighteous judge is going to relent to this, to this widow, how much more would God, who loves us, and who, 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 who loves us so much that he gives his son for us, how much more is he willing to, to answer our prayers if we ask? And, and he contrasts the widow and the believer. He says, the widow is helpless. She's rejected. She's unjustly treated for weak. You know, and he, and he con- contrasts it with us who are his children, who are loved, who are fully accepted, are given undeserved grace. This woman um, faced injustice. Well, we get something that we don't even deserve. Right? We get grace that we don't. There's nothing that we can do to like earn this grace, and then God gives it to us. We are the ones that have favor. We have victory in Jesus Christ. If an unrighteous judge would grant a helpless widow who, who he doesn't care for justice because she nags him over and over again, how much more would our God, who loves us, who cares for us, who's near us, who has our best interests in mind, grant justice when we pray to him in faith and love? This isn't a parable about us nagging God to get our way, but it's about us praying with God to bring his justice and his kingdom into this world. And in order for us to fully understand this parable, we have to look at the way that the Bible and Jesus teaches us how to pray. And the Bible tells us to, first of all, pray persistently, pray continually, pray without ceasing. First Thessalonians, or the First Thessalonians 5, 16, 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He's saying pray without ceasing. Now, does that mean that we pray like 24 hours a day, we don't go to work, we don't take care of our children? No. What he's saying is you need to have a life of prayer where we are continually connected with God. The Jews, like the Pharisees, were supposed to pray three times a day. They felt that if they prayed free three times a day, not only did they like, you know, like check off this, this rule that they were supposed to do, but they actually felt that they, they felt they had righteousness before the Lord. They believed that they gave them right standing with God. They were righteous about making sure that they prayed three times a day, you know, without you know, missing a day, without missing a time, and they felt like they were right with God because they prayed three times a day. But Jesus in the Bible tells us that we are supposed to pray without ceasing. Jesus isn't talking about praying certain prayers, but a life of prayer in which we are continually connected to God in communication and in communion and in relationship with Him. It's really easy to pr- for prayer to become uh, automated and one-sided. When I was young, when I was immature, that's how it would be. Every night, right before I slept, I had this, I had this prayer that I had made up in my mind, and I could, would be able to recite it word for word. I would make sure that I covered everybody. I would make sure that, like, you know, I asked for everything that I needed, and I would thank him. And then, but after a while, it became this automated thing where I would just do it, and I really wouldn't have any kind of connection with God. It's really easy for our prayers to become this way. We're doing God a favor for offering up prayers. We feel like that. Oh, God, I pray to you, right? Because it shows that, you know, when we pray, it shows that we're good people. It shows that we're holy people, right? The Pharisees were really good at this. They loved to like make sure that people saw them when they prayed. First of all, it's like the time would come, I don't know, maybe three o'clock or whatever, and they would all like, you know, come before God and they would like recite these prayers to make sure that everybody that was around them would know that they prayed 
and that they were right with God. But this is not what Jesus is talking about. He wants us to be in this continual connection. Pray without ceasing. But we're continually connected with him. And our hearts are continually in prayer to God. And we have to remember that Jesus specifically taught us how to pray. How did he teach us how to pray? Let's read it in Matthew 6, 5 through 14. It says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the, at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray for your father who is, in, who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we, forget, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus says that our prayers are supposed to be intimate. Right? Supposed to be intimate. It's, our prayers are actually supposed to be just between us and God. We're supposed to go inside a closet, lock the door, and then go to God in secret. And God, and, and he says that we're supposed to pray with humility. But we go to him with a humble heart. We don't go, with, we go to him like, hey, I deserve this. But we go to him with humility. And according to Jesus, our prayers should be for the kingdom of God, and our prayers should be in line with God's will. These are the two things that we see right off the bat. When Jesus taught us how to pray, he said, this is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So our prayers... Uh, uh, like the, the thy kingdom come that will be done this is a huge aspect a huge component of our prayers when we pray to God Jesus, when Jesus teaches us how to, how to pray this is a, a major component of the prayers and the prayer life that we're supposed to have that it's, in, that it's for the kingdom of God and it's in line with his will there's a notion in Christian, Christian community that God will answer all of our prayers no matter what it is as long as we pray persistently. And people get angry when God doesn't answer them. Right? But Jesus taught us in the, in the prayer that he taught us to pray that the main point of our prayers need to be that his kingdom comes and his will be done. But sometimes we pray like, your kingdom come, but my will be done, Jesus. Or we go, your kingdom come, but my, my desires will be done. And then sometimes we just go out to him and say, God, my kingdom Where's my kingdom? <laughs> my kingdom come, and then my will be done. We have to understand that God is all about his kingdom. God is all about his glory. Right? He deserves to be this way because he is God. He created everything. Everything belongs to him, so he could be all about him. He's the only one in this universe that could be all about him. Because he made everything. Everything is his, and his way is the best way. Who believes that God's ways are the best way? His ways are the best ways. And Jesus teaches us that when we pray to God, we need to pray from a place of faith where we trust God, we trust His will and His ways and, we, and His kingdom, and we pray that, that His rule and reign will be established on this earth. And when we pray for, for, you know, we have to really 
understand, like a lot of times we pray, you know, for our kids. And when we pray for our kids, we have to understand, we have to pray for our kids in a way where we establish them in the kingdoms of God and in God's will. A lot of parents, they like, they pray for, they pray for their kids. Like, God, I pray that you will make uh, my son this way. I pray that you will make my son successful. I pray that you will make my son to become a lawyer, you know, a doctor, you know, whatever, when that makes a lot of money. Those are the, those are the two that the Koreans love best, lawyers and doctors, right? But, but when we, like, those are manipulative prayers. And when we pray for our kids, like, that, it's easy for us to kind of follow that path. But we make sure that when we pray, we pray for God's will upon them. That they will be able to come to an age where they understand the, 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 the person who is Jesus Christ, and they choose him as Lord and Savior, and that they will lead a life that they're following in the will of God. Even though I might not think that that's the right way for them to go, we, we ingrain them with truth, we ingrain them with knowledge, we ingrain them with the Word of God, so that as they go, we are able to trust God that they're following the path that God has for them. When we pray, we have to make sure that we're praying His rule and His reign and His kingdom and His will upon this earth. Is that how we're praying? Is the way that we pray falling into this criteria? Or are we self-focused? Are we wanting what we want and what we desire? Because what we want might be good. It might actually be good. What we want might be the, 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 the things, like it, there might be nothing wrong with what we want. It might be good, but it's not God. There's a great book by John Beers, like, like Good or God, right? A lot of times we like we tell God, God, I want this because this is good. And God, he tells us like, hey, that's not my will for your life. We got we to gotta get that O out of good and make it into God because, yeah. I was going to actually make a slide for that, but I got too busy. But a lot of times we like, we, we, Go to God with a God. These are good things. If I had more money, if I had this better job, then I'd be able to like give more to the kingdom of God. And I believe that you should give me this. But then we fail to realize that we're not seeking His will and His ways in our lives. The only way that we're going to be going, we're going to know God's ways and His will is for us to continually be in connection with Him. This is what Jesus is talking about. You know, pray without ceasing. Right? Pray without giving heart, losing heart. Be in communion with Him, because when we pray without ceasing, right, we start to change. Many people's favorite verse is, "Delight yourselves in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart." Who loves that verse? Right? Everybody loves that verse. It's one of Mina's favorite verses. Right? Delight yourselves in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. A lot of people think like, "Oh, I love Jesus. You should get me a Mercedes." I love Jesus. Jesus. I think Jesus is going to give me a new house. But we have to understand, delighting in the Lord changes us. Because when we de- truly delight in the Lord, when we delight in the Lord, we start to delight in His ways. And when we start to delight in His ways, we start to change the way we think and the way we, we the emotions that we have starts to be transformed. And then now His ways become our ways, and His will becomes our will. That verse was never meant to be like, I delight in the Lord, and you're going to get everything that you want. A lot of people think of it that way. I used to think of it that way. I delight in you, God, and so I believe that I'm supposed to get this. I delight in you, God, so I believe that I'm supposed to get married, right? But we have to know that when we delight in the Lord, God changes us. When we're truly delighting in Him. A lot of times we start delighting in the things of the world, 
right? And we, and we feel like we're delighting in God. We go to church, you know, we pray, we read the Bible. But we're stuck in delighting in the things of the world. And when we're delighting in the things of the world, the desires of our hearts are going to be in line with the desires of this world. A lot of times what God wants, for, wants to do with prayer isn't for him to grant us something, but it's for him to change something. The point of prayer for God isn't so that we can get something from him, for him to do something for us. But the point of prayer is for God to be able to transform our hearts, to give us his perspective, to give us his understanding. It's about the heart. God is always about the heart. Not about the outside. Always about the heart. God wants to connect with our hearts. And when we connect with his heart, what we pray for and what we want to see in the world starts The point of the parable of this persistent widow isn't to teach us to pray to God over and over until we get our way, but to show us a God that wants to give us everything that he wants for us. A, a God that has prepared this kingdom for us and is, is, like, is wanting to establish it in this world for us. For his children to have the kingdom that he has created for them. A lot of times we pray to God for things that we we can do with the wisdom and the understanding in, in our minds. Like, like we pray for things that we can already like do for ourselves. Right? We pray for them. I mentioned this earlier. We pray for things that God wants us to do for ourselves. But God's telling us, hey, stop praying for those things because you can do that on your own. Like, hey, come and talk to me about your kingdom. Come and talk to me about the kingdom that I have prepared for you. Come and talk to me about the amazing things that I have in store for you if you're able to start to connect with He's saying, come and seek me. Come and seek my face. His will is so much greater than what we can imagine for ourselves. Like Ethan, this past weekend, his grandma's coming. My, my mother-in-law like loves to buy the kids gifts. Right? So she, she told, called me and I was like, hey, have him pick, up any, have him pick out any like, Lego set that he wants. And these Lego sets are mad expensive, right? They're like something like 100 bucks. Like, have him pick out any Lego sets that you want in Amazon, order it to my house, and I'll bring it. So I opened Amazon. I was like, Ethan, what do you want? What do you want? And then he's like, I want a hippo. And I was like, you can get this big set with a hippo. He's like, no, I just want a hippo. And then he saw a gorilla. He's like, oh, I also want a gorilla. And then, and then I was like, oh, I can get that for you from Coupon in Korea, and it's really cheap. And he's like, oh, I want that. And I was like, oh, but your grandma still wants you to buy you this this Lego set, and he's like, no, I want that. I want the, the gorilla. The gorilla costs Ichonon, right? It's on Koopa. It's Chinese, right? And I bought two each. Ezra wanted the shark, so I bought two because I know it's going to break. And it's so cheap that I can get two, right? It's $2, right? And so like, he's like, I want that. And then he didn't even, he, he completely ignored, like, any of the things that his grandma wanted to get him. He's just like, I want this. And, he, and then he would ask me over and over again, when is the gorilla coming? And I was like, oh, it's coming next Tuesday. But coupon was super fast, right? This wasn't rocket vessel, but it actually came the next day. They woke up in the morning, saw it, ripped it open, and was like playing with it, right? And, and, and he's like, but then he, he's losing sight of this amazing, like his grandma wants to like buy him things that are like 100 bucks, like things that you can like, Avengers Lego set. Like it, it would take me like 10 hours for me to make it for him, you know? And, and yet he's looking at this little toy gorilla. You'll see it today. He has it, he's going to have it in his hand. You'll see Ezra with his shark in his hand. There he is, right there, shark in his hand. Right? God has amazing things in store for us, 
But we're focusing on the little things that we feel like is good for us in, with our wisdom and with our understanding. God, if I have this, I'm going to be happy. Please give me this because I feel like it's going to be happy. God's like, no, I have, I, have a, I have a kingdom for you. I have my perfect will for you in my life. And then we're asking him for scraps. And we, need to, we need a heart connection with God and his heart for us to seek him and not what he, we, what he can do for us. But we have to seek his face. And seeking the face of God leads to us, to him moving the hand of God. We don't pray for the hand of God. We seek the face of God. And when we seek the face of God, his, the hand of God starts to move in line with his will for us. That's why when Jesus teaches us to pray, he starts with the prayer of adoration. Our Father. It's not like our God that, that created the cosmos and the universe and, and you know is seated in heaven. No, he's like our Father. Like we're supposed to go to God with his affection of a father. Like my kids look at me. They're like, oh, Daddy. You know? We're supposed to look at him like that. And he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed meaning sacred, holy, consecrated. Saying like, Daddy, there's no one like you. This is, a, this is a prayer of adoration. It starts out with this prayer of us like looking to God and saying, God, you're, you're my Father, and there's no one like you in this world. The parable of the persistent widow isn't for us to ask a cold and aloof God to get a, a meager scraps, nagging him over and over again until he relents, but for us, his children, who is loved and accepted and cared for by the, king, the God of the universe, to connect with and to seek the face of a father. We have to seek the face of a father. And whenever Ethan, Ethan, I was writing my sermon yesterday because I was a little behind because we were in Seoul. And Ethan and Ezra and Mina were at a friend's house. And they had this like big water park in their apartment. They were playing in there. But whenever Ethan calls me, he never calls me over the phone. Right? He never calls me like this. He always calls me FaceTime because he wants to see my face. Right? Ezra also, he always calls me FaceTime. So that he could see my face, right? right? And in the same way, he always asks me, God, what, I mean, he says, Dad, what are you doing? Like, where are you, right? And he wants to see what I'm doing, right? And in the same, same way, we have to seek the face of God. We can't just seek his hand, because in order for us to, to, for his hand to move for us, move for us in his will, we have to seek his face. To connect with him, to seek the face of the Father who has created a kingdom for us to rule and reign with His Son. A God that wants to pour us, pour upon blessings upon blessings and share with us His glory. God wants to share His glory with us. God says, I will not share my glory with anyone. No, I will not share my glory with others, but that in Christ Jesus, He shares His glory with us. That's the heart of this story. We are supposed to be persistent, but persistent in prayer and connection with a loving Father. Not a, like a, not a, like an unjust judge. God is not an unjust judge. Even when he judges, he judges right. A Father that will never reject us, he accepts us wholly and unconditionally when we are in Christ Jesus. When we are in Christ Jesus, God accepts us. doesn't matter what we've done. doesn't matter what we've been, you know, how we've been, he accepts us. God that wants to pour upon us blessings. Now I included the next parable that follows this because I believe Jesus told both parables back to back for a reason. Now, let's look at this parable. It's the parable 
of the of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It says he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into a temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, you know, the tax collectors were one of the hated, most hated people. They were considered like sinners and all the Jews hated him. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. My next point is that we have to pray from a place of brokenness. When we pray, we have to pray from a place of brokenness. When we approach God in prayer, we have to go to him from a place where we we understand our true condition. We're broken before him. We have to understand that we are wretched sinners. That has to be, like, like we have to realize that. I know there's grace. I know that you know, God, God saves us. But if we, if we don't recognize our true condition, you know, it's going to make us prideful. We're wretched, helpless to save ourselves. We have to understand our condition so that we can truly embrace and run to the, to the gospel and the fullness of the grace that Jesus has for us. We don't realize our condition if, so we can wallow in it, but we understand our original condition so we run to God in grace. We run to God and His grace. So we can fully embrace the love and the grace that Jesus brought to us on the cross. When we approach our God, we go to Him with the cross before us. We go with, it's like, Jesus, I know that I can't approach you, but I can now because of this cross. I know that I'm a sinner. I'm wretched. I'm like, you know, there's nothing that I can do to save myself, but I have your cross. And I can approach you with this cross from a place of humility. The cross humbles us. And we're able to see Jesus correctly. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. He has to be our everything. But sometimes we go to him with our entitlement. We feel like we deserve something. We deserve something, something from God. We approach him with the works of the we approach him with all of the works that we've done. We approach him with all of the purity that we have. We approach him with all of the things that we've done, right? Like, God, I've been doing these amazing sermons for you. You know, I have, my sermons have been on point. I've been working hard for this church for, for all these years. I believe it's about time that you brought more people into this church. Right? I, I'm, not, I'm not above saying that. I, I used to pray that way, right? I, you know, like the temptation is there for me to go to him. It's like, God, I'm working so hard, right? Or we go to him and say, oh, God, I've been so pure. I've been so, like, I haven't gone clubbing in, in years. And I've been, like, you know, like, I've been, like, you know, being pure. And I've been righteous. And I've been doing so many things. I've been praying. I've been and reading the Bible. I believe that you're supposed to give me a husband soon. Or you're supposed to give me a wife soon, right? I think it's about time, God, that you're supposed to give me this, this thing that I want. We go to him with entitlement. But Jesus teaches us in order for us to enter into his presence, we have to be broken. We have to fully understand what we truly what we truly deserve, which is death. Eternal separation from God, all that is good, all that is love, 
all that is righteous. Imagine being separated from everything that's good. That's like that terrifies me sometimes. Imagine being separated for any everything that is love, separated for everything that is righteous, eternally, and that's what we deserve. And when we when we do, God always comes and embraces us with his with his grace. We don't wallow in that that condition. Oh, I'm such a sinner. I'm such a sinner. But we we acknowledge it and we go to the to God in brokenness, and then God always approaches us with his grace, with the cross, with his amazing grace that he has shown for us. And in that place of brokenness, we're able to find the connection with God, communion with his presence. Gotta go backwards. Sorry. How does this work? Hold on. Anyways, I'm just gonna go on. When we, when we go to, go to God in entitlement, we get what we're entitled to. But when we go to Him in brokenness, He offers the one thing that can actually fix us, which is the cross, which is His grace, which is His mercy. You know, He starts His beatitudes in Matthew five. If you read the beatitudes, it says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there for Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit doesn't mean that blessed, you know, like that we're supposed to, you know, you know, like I suck. The blessed and poor in spirit is a place of brokenness. If you read the Message Bible, it's like blessed are the broken. Blessed are the ones that are broken before the Lord. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes means supreme blessing. It's God's blessing. For us, right? His supreme blessing for us, and it starts from a place of brokenness before Him. And this is how we're supposed to approach Him in prayer. We approach Him in prayer. And we're supposed to approach Him in prayer with a confidence that comes from the cross. In order for us to have the cross, we have to be broken before Him. And this leads me to my last point. And it's when we approach God in prayer, we approach Him with faith. Cross gives us faith, and we have to approach him with faith. At the end of the parable, Jesus asked, "Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth?" This is what Jesus asked, and faith is a key component of our prayers. It says he he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Faith is a key component of our prayer, and Faith makes our, power, our prayers powerful. A lot of times we pray, we pray without faith, and it just like fizzles out. But we're supposed to pray with faith in our heart that God is good, that God is righteous, that God will do what He says He will do. Faith is a key for our prayers to have power. When we are able to trust God, we're able to we're we're able to have thanksgiving in our hearts, which is another powerful aspect. Of happens is faith produces thanksgiving which is the which creates the right climate for our for our prayers right the righteous prayers that we're supposed to have Philippians 4 6 it says be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be known to God 
Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. I read it earlier. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ. All right. Faith and thanksgiving goes hand in hand in prayer. We can't have thanksgiving for people we don't trust. But when we fully trust God, we're able to be thankful because we know that he is good, that he has our best interest in mind. When we truly have faith in our hearts, we're supposed to have a heart that like it produces in us a heart of thanksgiving. The thanksgiving that God wants us to have is not something, it's not just being thankful for the things that God's given us. Right? I'm very thankful. God gave me an amazing wife. I do not deserve, by the way. Right? I'm a, I, I, I'll look at Mina and I always look at her like I don't deserve. She's first of all, she's seven years younger than me, right? I definitely don't deserve, right? When my mom came to Korea to see Mina and she was like looking at her like, does she have all her limbs? Like, why does she look so normal, right? Because she's like seven years younger, she's pretty, you know. And she, and he's like, what? Is there something wrong with her, right? Like, I don't deserve Mina, right? And I'm thankful for her every day. I'm thankful for my kids. I'm thankful for all of the things that God's given us, but the thanksgiving that God wants us to have isn't just being thankful for the things we have. Thanksgiving that God wants us to have is to be thankful for the things that God hasn't brought into our lives yet. To be thankful even if we are being persecuted. To be thankful even if our circumstances are really crappy. To be thankful even if we're not getting the things that we desire in our hearts because the thanksgiving that we're supposed to have doesn't come from the things that God's given us. The thanksgiving that we have comes from our faith in a God who is good who is righteous, who is loving, that wants to give us everything that he wills for us in our lives. That's the place of the thanksgiving. And from that place, we pray to God. Not for the things that we want, but that your kingdom come and your will be done because I know that your kingdom and your will is greater than anything that I can think of with my mind and with my imagination and with my heart. So then I'm praying that your kingdom will come and your will will be done. And I connect with them continually until I see that happen in this world. Thanksgiving that God wants us to have and the faith that we're supposed to have is supposed to come together in the prayers that we lift to the Father. And as, this, as we continue to do this without ceasing, as we continue to do this like, like continually, like God says, like, pray always, right? That we will never lose heart and we will never give up in, in, in contending and praying to God. What God's going to do is He's going to change our hearts. He's going to start to to mold us, right? We are the potter, I am the clay. You guys know that song, right? God, we're going to start to be like clay, and God's going to start to mold us. He's going to start to shape us. He's going to start to, like, you know, make us into, the, into the, the person that he wants us to be. Not the person that my mom wants me to be. Not the person that my wife wants me to be. Not the person that the world wants me to be. Not the person that my friends want me to be, but the person... That God, the king of the universe, the creator of everything, wants me to be this way. Because he's like, hey, I designed you when I made you, when I formed you. Out of your mother's womb, I made you so that you will be this way. That you will do these things on this earth. And you will, and you will do this for my kingdom. And people are going to come to know me because of you in this way. And it can only happen when we continue to connect with God in prayer. Brothers and sisters, prayer is important. We're to not just pray, but to have a life of prayer. We have to know that God never wanted us to look at him like a vending machine or one of those like gotcha things, and then that little thing comes out. Play with it. But prayer is meant for us to draw near to God. 
That's why we must do it persistently. That's why we must continually do it without relenting, without giving up. Because as we pray in faith, God starts to transform us. And our hearts become his heart. Don't interpret this parable as a means to get what, God, what you want in your life. Don't interpret it in a way where if we nag God enough, he's going to give us what we want. But for us to continually seek God's face so that his hand moves to do his will in our lives. We seek his face so that his hands would move so that his will will be done in our life. His kingdom will come into this world through us through our prayers and our persistence. Let's all stand up.